0: So we did have 51 wins um, in the regular season over our first three years, and that is tied for the most amount of wins for a USL club in our first wow. three years. From Eterno,
1: this is With Aplomb, a show about the history, culture, and happenings in the beautiful game. Coming to you live in full effect from San Francisco, I'm your host, Nima with the 2020 usl championship season openers just around the corner starting tomorrow friday march 6th for today's show we chatted with doug raftery the general manager of reno 1868 fc a USL club based in Reno, Nevada. In terms of market size, 1868 is the smallest of all current 35 USL championship clubs, but that has not held them back one bit in terms of performance. Under the leadership of Coach Ian Russell, they've clocked in 51 wins over three seasons, playing an attractive brand of football, and finished second in the Western Conference last year. Doug was kind enough to hang with us for a bit and we got into how the team was founded and got its name what it's like to have an owner like Herb Simon of Simon Properties fame who isn't new to pro sports team ownership since he already owns NBA's Indiana Pacers and WNBA's Indiana Fever. And of course the business side of things. Their relationship with the San Jose Earthquakes, to creative scouting methods, player salaries, importance of youth and academy players, broadcast rights, rivalries, and much much more. But first... Before we get into our interview with Doug, a new segment we introduced this year is our trivia segment to help all of you stunt on your friends with your football knowledge. So for today's show, y'all ready? Can you name USL's all-time leading goal scorer? If you don't know, hang tight till the end of the show and we'll give you the answer. Stay tuned. And now, without further ado, we hope you'll enjoy our conversation with Doug. Today, we have a special guest in the house, Doug Raftery, the general manager of Reno 1868 FC. A USL team is with us today. Welcome
0: to With Aplomb, Doug. Thanks, Hina. I appreciate it. It's great to catch up with you and excited for the 2020 season. Same, same, same.
1: So to kick things off, could you please tell our listeners a little bit about yourself, where you hail from, your background and in- the path that's taken you to becoming a
0: GM of a pro soccer team? Sure. Definitely a little bit of a different path than the norm. So I uh, grew up in New Jersey and I went to school, uh, college out in Maryland, a small division three school called Hood College in Frederick, Maryland, and played for the Hood College Blazers out there for four years. So I grew up playing soccer throughout my youth soccer life and then uh, in the collegiate level. And I, I really wanted to get into broadcasting actually and and broadcasting baseball, to be honest with you. And we do play in a baseball stadium here in Reno. But, you know, I I jumped a couple of places. I was in Wisconsin working for a collegiate Northwoods League team broadcasting baseball and also doing some sales on the side. And I was also coaching on the side as well. I was an assistant coach for the University of Wisconsin-Eau Claire women's program. After that, I, I moved back to Maryland. This was back in 2014. And I coached for my alma mater. So I coached at Hood for the men's program for two years in 2014, 2015. I coached the women's program in 2016. And all in the meantime was full-time at a minor league facility for baseball, a single A team of the Baltimore Orioles. And I kind of just lost the fire a little bit, a lot of travel in broadcasting, a lot of bus rides. It wasn't really all that fun for me by the end of year three that I was in Frederick. So I decided to start looking and knew that I wanted to get into soccer, knew I wanted to feel out the business side a little bit more. So in November of 2016, was offered the opportunity to come out to Reno. And at the time, we were just starting 1868 FC in 2017. That was the debut year. Uh So I thought it was really neat. I stepped in in uh, our sponsorship sales department for our baseball team here and our soccer club. And I uh, was doing that for about two and a half years. You know, I learned so much and I knew that if there was an opportunity that opened up that I would love to step into the GM role. And uh, our previous GM moved on in December of 2019, or sorry, December of 2018. I was lucky enough in April of 2019 to step into the role. So it's been great. And now I have my first off season under my belt.
1: Jesse. We have a popular segment on our show, Jersey of the Week segment, and we'd love to talk about some of the merch that you guys have put out. One particular piece of work that you guys have done, which has been with Lootworks. Can you tell us a little bit about that and how that came
0: about? Yeah, so really neat. Our president, actually, Eric Edelstein, who oversees the Total Stadium operation, he had experience working with them, and we had some leftover Leftover gear from 2017 it was, and we kind of didn't know what to do with it. So as we tossed ideas around, they came up as an option. And we thought it would be really neat to reconfigure our our 2017 home jerseys, which were really neat. There were home lights with blue mountains. They really, yeah. you know, just showcase what this area is all about with the mountains surrounding Reno. And we made them into some different objects two off the top of my head we've got a a laptop bag more like a backpack that can fit a laptop in it and then we had a, a, a like a laptop case a holder want to say there are a couple more as well those are definitely the two of the best sellers and there is limited quantities of each of them but you know you're always trying to figure out different ways to you know showcase your product and of course stuff that you're not able to sell it anymore we changed our jersey sponsor after you know 2018 Mm -hmm. so Mm -hmm. it gave us an avenue to be able to resell from a merch perspective
1: one i love the creativity i wish more teams would do things like you guys have done and on a whole other level it's actually really nice to see businesses trying to recycle some of the garments you know this the apparel industry isn't the holiest of all industries. And I think anytime we yep. do some of it, uh, it's just good for <laughs> the environment. And folks, if you haven't seen it, go to their website, go to their shop website. The backpack in particular is super dope. You guys should definitely take a look at that. On the topic of the team name, what do the fans call the team? Do they go by Reno FC or do we go by the full Reno 1868 FC?
0: It definitely varies. I think based on who it is, I think that's definitely different within the sport. Usually, you have a name that sticks. I'd say that there there's a lot of pride in what the club was named, so that you know, 1868 FC is I'd say more common than a Reno FC uh-huh. from a fan standpoint. Uh-huh. So, 1868 was the year that Reno was founded, and it was a fan choice. To receive that name. So I think a lot of people just feel like there's ownership. I think that's the neat part about soccer in general and being a club is that your fans feel like they have ownership. And I think that's extremely important for them to feel that. And every single thing and every decision that we make is based around that, whether that be fan surveys or social media posts or whatever that might be. You know, we want to incorporate the fans. So I'd say 1868, even just that, is more common than anything else. Oh, amazing. I didn't know that. For some
1: reason, many teams in the U.S., their naming is just not that interesting. I mean, I'm not here to, you know, necessarily talk smack, but Inter Miami? Mm -hmm. I mean, Beckham played for, I don't know, 12,000 teams, and none of them were Inter. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. So I love the originality. I love when teams get the fans involved because it has a deeper meaning. You know, we interviewed the folks at Forward Madison, their name, exactly like you guys, in my opinion, that's the right way to name your team. You get the fans involved. It has meaning to the town, the city. That's wonderful to know. And now I know how to properly refer to the team. So thank you for that.
0: Yeah, absolutely. I want to
1: talk a little bit about the ownership structure. So the team is owned by Herbert Simon. For those that don't know, Mr. Simon also owns the Indiana Pacers, of course, in the NBA, and Indiana Fever in WNBA. So I'm curious, how involved is he? Is he a massive soccer fan? Anything you can tell us more about that? I'd love to learn.
0: Yeah, Herb is He's not on site. He is based out in Indiana and mm-hmm. has a lot of travels, of course, scheduled. We actually saw him just a couple of days ago in town. So you know, Herb definitely has a lot of pride of this area. His, you know, upbringing and success really came out of Simon Properties. Mm-hmm. And uh, we do have a Simon Property locally that's most well-known is a mall. And it's mm-hmm. a mall system that he's most well-known for. We have Meadowwood Mall locally. I would say that the soccer concept was pushed along by our president, Eric Edelstein, to Herb. And really, what the you know the valuation was back in the United Soccer League in 2015, and and Eric had convinced you know Herb that this was a good venture. And I would say at that time Herb was not a big soccer fan. From that time, now fast forwarding four or five years, he has definitely turned into a soccer fan. So it. it's definitely more common to see Herb at soccer matches rather than baseball games. He is a huge advocate of our supporter groups in general we have a couple of them but he has been open to providing various things if they so choose obviously supporter groups are independent so he has wanted to meet them and build relationships with them which i think is is really really cool so i'd say he wasn't a soccer fan at first he's growing into a soccer fan and his son steve is involved in the business as well i'd say it's probably the same concept for for him too
1: that's so wonderful to hear when owners get that involved. You know, we've seen this globally with so many different teams. I'm, I'm seeing this more and more, especially in the U.S. And it's just wonderful to see, you know, whether it's been the ownership at Sky Blue FC or the ownership group at, you know, Forward Madison. We see this everywhere. And the more involved they are, it's just better for the ecosystem. So that's wonderful to hear. I couldn't agree more. Right. You guys have a unique relationship with a very old MLS team being the San Jose Earthquakes. Can you tell us a little bit more about how that relationship came about and really what's unique about it?
0: Yeah, I think it's so interesting where the the USL is positioned right now. You know, as a team like us, we're on the rare side right now that is independently owned but affiliated with San Jose Earthquakes. You've got teams that are MLS 2s, we'll call them. Although they're trying to break that mold, it seems a little bit with kind of, you know, Tacoma Defiance rebranding from Seattle, Sounders 2, and Portland Timbers 2 now transitioning to playing in Hillsboro, I mean, that baseball stadium. So we'll see where, where MLS 2 goes. And then just independent teams, right? Clubs that are just not affiliated with anybody and and are just independently owned. So, you know, we decided back when we first were going through the process that we wanted to have that relationship with an MLS club. There's definitely two ends to it. One is definitely a business end from a financial standpoint and uh, working hand in hand with the earthquakes on various topics between coaches and trainers and strength and conditioning. And I think it gives you the ability to build out your staff a lot more. We're very fortunate in that respect compared to a lot of other usl clubs and there's definitely a share there in in terms of the financials and then from a player standpoint just having that upper echelon of a scouting network you know there are a lot of usl clubs who are independent who've got a three-man coaching staff and it's them and it's them for us we're very fortunate to be able to lean on the earthquakes of their head of scouting and you know chris leach their tech director and a lot of other people who are able to recommend players, sign players, loan them to us from a season-long perspective, you know, give us guys when our, our lineups might be hurting due to injuries or whatever that might be. So we, we wanted to get into it. It's been a great, great relationship. We'll continue it here in 2020 and hope to, you know, continue that moving forward as well. Well, you guys actually extended that option, yes? Already once. Correct. Yep. Through this year.
1: <laughs> okay. When you were mentioning from a financial perspective, can you dig into a bit more what that means for the club, especially
0: as a USL team? Yeah, obviously can't get into particulars all that much. Sure. But I would I would say that from a player standpoint, you know, it gives you the flexibility to be where some of those even middle tier clubs would be from a paying the players perspective, or normally we're the smallest market in the USL. 36 teams were the smallest. So 600,000 is our size of Reno sparks here. So we fight, you know, we're a blue collar team. That's how we look at ourselves. Uh-huh. So the fact that we're able to get into that, maybe not the middle tier, but not the very, very bottom with that partnership with the quakes. And then also, you know, we, we've definitely been able to sign some guys, a Dane Kelly, a Brian Brown, a Linda Mafeka, you know, various guys who would not have come to Reno without the partnership with San Jose and the clear pathway that exists from Reno to San Jose. So we've now had, if I'm not mistaken, six guys signed to MLS contracts. Wow, um, wow. Five of those are are with San Jose in 2017 and 2018. So there's been a lot of success behind the model. And now, you know, that's with Matias Almeida stepping in with, with San Jose this year, there was a, a learning curve and, a change of play for San Jose. So we, we didn't quite adapt to all of that in mm-hmm. Reno in 2019. But I think the fans will see that moving forward in, into 2020. And where do you think,
1: in terms of scouting, how does that relationship work?
0: Yeah, so it's led by really Ian Russell, our head coach, who was a Quakes player and coach for a long standing yes. time and And our two assistants working really with Chris Leach, the technical director. So Chris is the one from the quake side who really initiated and has been at the front of conversations between San jose and and their USL club, Reno. So we uh, you know have have leaned on really our coaching staff working with Chris. and uh, then, you know, other members of the quakes may get involved. Jesse might get involved here and there, but but it's pretty much that core of really Chris and Ian, and then our assistance from a scouting perspective.
1: How far and
0: wide do you guys go for scouting? Uh, <laughs> wherever it may be. So we had a very unique story in 2019. when We signed Luis Paradella, who was Cuban, Cuban native, and at the time was in Guatemala, playing out in Guatemala, but he was a Cuban citizen. And we saw Luis in the Gold Cup actually playing for Cuba. And as you know, Cuban citizens, you know, usually they defect, yes. um, in particular in the baseball world. But mm-hmm. even when the national team comes over to this country, they have, you know, three, four guys defect every single time, it seems like, who just don't show up for the games. So Luis, he's a young guy, I want to say he's 22. He, he made it very clear that he wanted to represent Cuba. So he was the first professional athlete playing this country on a P1A visa, which is this, just an athlete visa that allowed him to come over for a certain amount of time. So we're always scouting, whether it's watching literally the Gold Cup (laughs) on TV and we're not there, or it's, you know, videos being sent in, highlight clips, you know, and inviting trialists to preseason. So it's it's a lot, but pretty much wherever soccer is, we we attempt to be, especially when it comes to watching the game, because you can only have so many members on site in particular places. Yes. I love that. I
1: mean, I love that hustle. And for all of us soccer fans around the world you know, many of us support more than one team. So we end up having, you know, scarves from 97 different teams because we just love (laughs) the game and we watch it. Yeah. I'm curious, and you sort of touched on this a little bit earlier, but why is it that no other team has sort of done the structure that you guys have done with San Jose? I mean, at least from a proof point standpoint, it's been fruitful for
0: both organizations and the players. Sure, it's a great question. I don't think I have a, a great answer to it. I, I would say, in general, it'll be interesting from the league standpoint. You know, from the USL side of of where they want to go. You know, and and uh, you know, not not currently from a league standpoint affiliated with MLS at all. So you can see the league right now, right? They're they're building out USL Championship. There's League One. There's League Two. Yes. So. You know, it's, uh, I think, an interesting structure right now of where the league is, and it doesn't surprise me that a lot of teams come in as independent just because of that structure and where that may go in the future of the USL making it its, you know, its own thing and having the teams represent themselves and not be affiliated with anybody. I don't know if, if that's the case or not. I'm not speaking on behalf of the league by any means, but just from a, a sense of where things have been built, That could be my only good guess, really, from that standpoint. Mm.
1: Well, since we touched on the U.S. soccer system, this is a question I often ask just about anyone I I come across, but especially our guests. The U.S. soccer system is obviously growing, as you touched on it. You know, now we have a unified second division, a unified third division. This is great for the game. I'd love to know your thoughts as a GM, about the ecosystem specifically where you've seen meaningful improvements happen, let's just say even over the, the last couple of years, and how you think that's going to benefit, you know, the next two to five years of the game.
0: I think for me, you know, it's been interesting. I'll start with the the youth side. It's been, I think, made very well known that the academy structure is wanted from the top, from the league level. They just introduced the Academy Cup. From a U-17 and a U-13 level, they did just announce a women's side as well, if I'm not mistaken, but they are having a a regional event. They had one in October. The national event is in May for the U-17 boys, and then the U-13 boys are represented in May only in the national events. They didn't have a regional event for U-13. So the academy structure is really hard to wrap your head around. You know, A lot of communities are built out from a youth soccer standpoint where it'd be very hard to change these clubs into, you know, for example, a Reno 1868 Academy, and it's very costly. You know, we're not quite ready to make that jump. We've definitely had some discussions of how can we partner with particular programs that already exist in Northern Nevada to represent Reno 1868. We can help them out from a you know, a training standpoint, a coaches, uh, coaches, clinics, et cetera, you know, being branded and wearing our kits in these tournaments, maybe sending them to the Academy Cup. So we are doing that this May. So we're working with a local team and sending them to the national events, but they're not an 1868 true Academy, if that makes sense, despite me being involved and helping out with training and stuff like that. So I think youth soccer is, is all over the place and, and U.S. soccer has. Recently changed their system and their coaching points, and they're you know really talking about the six key qualities for youth soccer now, which are are very interesting and have I think changed coaching and and the game over the past you know year or two we'll call it. So from a you know an ODP level to U sevens, you should be focusing on particular things within those key qualities. So uh, I think there's you know I think this country is still trying to figure it out. I I don't think there's an easy fix. You know, I I do think just from my time in this league, which really it's been three, four years that I've really been paying attention to it, really ever since I started working here, the talent has increased despite the amount of teams increasing. So I'd say even some of the players that we might have had on our roster in 2017 would not get a sniff today. So I think that's very positive to see. But I do think from the lowest ranks, that's where it's got to start. It's led by U S soccer and those qualities and and coaching standpoints and coaching licenses. They just changed that program. Not too long ago, they got rid of the E and the F and now there's, you know, you start kind of with the coaching module and then go to a D. So I think there's just a lot of stuff still in motion that U S soccer is just trying to figure out. No, it's definitely being built. You know, I've met with
1: folks from U S soccer and at least, what, what I'm hearing and what I'm seeing them do, I'm optimistic about the future, much, much more than perhaps I was 10 years ago. So it's wonderful to to hear how a club like 1868 is actually going about engaging the community to the best of the abilities with the resources that are given today, that there's still this much engagement. That's wonderful to know. Yeah, One of the advantages that soccer as a sport perhaps has over just about anything else is that it truly is global. I mean, how many different nationalities of players does 1868 have? You know, when you look at a team like Real Madrid, they're not that Mm -hmm. Spanish. When you look at a team like Manchester United, they're not that English. I think that just helps the talent pool when, you know, you can recruit players from Senegal and South Africa and England and Mexico, hopefully that adds to the talent pool and keeps building the game up. So I'm totally with you that talent's not the issue. We just need a little bit more infrastructure. And part of that is investments from, you know, folks like Herb Simon. That
0: just helps the ecosystem. (laughs) Agreed. And I think what's just to, you know, finish up that thought is that, you know, you have these guys come from all over the the world. And I think each community is, is almost surprised. And I think it's a really cool way to grow the game within your community, to have a whole bunch of different backgrounds who can relate to the different backgrounds that already exist in the community, but it's at a professional soccer level, you know, and, and that these guys like a junior Burgos who we had in 2017, he's El Salvadorian, but like he represented on the El Salvador national team You know, Brian Brown was on the Jamaican national team. And, and these fans get to watch them play the United States of America from a national level, whether it's in a friendly or whatever that might be. Yes. I think that's really cool to be able to connect club and country, even if it's not our country. I couldn't agree more. I think
1: the universality of the game is perhaps what's so beautiful about it, that you can go to any corner of the world and you don't need to speak the language of the country. You can just point and run. And, <laughs> Correct. and that's good yep. enough to connect as humans the same way sometimes food is. I want to get back to the club itself. How, how are your games broadcasted today? So the,
0: the USL in general has the partnership with ESPN Plus, but we do have a, a local deal, it's Nevada Sportsnet. So it's a, uh, a sports-focused uh, daily show. And then they do partner with with a lot of the properties around town to, uh, to showcase you know the sports in this area so all of our games are on nevada sportsnet locally which is really really neat and then from an ESVM plus perspective that allows the outreach really more so to uh to the outside fan right from the opposing team or just a general soccer fan yes. or whatever that might be so I think it's cool to have a local deal most teams if not all have one everyone's structured different from a revenue and Expenditure and all that fun stuff that you have to worry about, but <laughs> but I'd say that's uh, that's pretty common, I'd say throughout the league. And if you can share,
1: how long is you guys' contract with Nevada Sportsnet?
0: Yeah, so so we're we're talking about 2020. Mm-hmm. We've been on a, a it's been a great relationship. So we've been uh, to a, a year to year. You know, we haven't signed a multi year or anything like that. But since day one, you know, we've we've had a really strong structure with them. So, uh, you know, feel confident moving forward and they've been fantastic. And obviously it's great for us, even just from not broadcasting our game, but from a PR standpoint, their daily show that gets run in the evenings to be able to be on their set and talk 1868. And hopefully it gives them solid content from a viewership standpoint Yes, that they're able to, uh, you know, sell more ads and, and TV spots and all that. Yes, that's, that's, how, that's the
1: business side of it. So, what would be your assessment of the first few seasons that Reno's been in USL and really what are some of the big goals for the club in 2020 and even moving forward? So on the field, that's the easy way to start, we've been very <laughs> successful. Yes. <laughs> we yeah. were texting about last season. I, my heart was broken for you guys because yeah. you were obviously second in the division, great season, but... It's a new day, new dawn, new day. This is why we love Absolutely. the
0: game. <laughs> exactly. That's why you keep coming back every year, right? And, it's, <laughs> and even right. if you win it all, you know, you keep coming back to win it. That's again. right. That's right. Um, <laughs> the competitiveness. So on the field, we've been very successful in particular. In the regular season, we definitely need to take and want to take the next step from a playoff perspective. So we did have 51 wins um, in the regular season over our first three years, and that is tied for the most amount of wins for a USL club in our first wow. three years with FC Cincinnati, no longer USL. So to be the smallest market in the league and do that is I don't I don't think people, especially in this area, understand how hard that is. Obviously, you know things we just previously talked about with San Jose and help received from them. It's a model that has proven to work, but we we would love to get over the hump in the playoffs in 2018. We did win a quarterfinal match in, in Salt Lake um, yes. against the Real Monarchs. We were balanced that, that next round in the semis by Orange County. And then this year we did drop, you know, to uh, to Sacramento our our rivals, not too far away, only a couple hour drive from, from Sac. And yeah. in year one, we were also ousted at home, by Oklahoma city in the, in the quarterfinals. So, you know, I get asked the question a lot of, you know, should you be changing things up? And I think that's the hard thing about soccer is that, you know, even take a look at a, you know, like an LAFC when they had their heck of a year and, you know, we're, we're balanced out, I think by real Salt Lake, if I'm not mistaken, you know, two years ago. Mm -hmm. And, you know, if you're in the game, you know, whether you're Ian or you're me or Chris Leach from the quakes, and you've had so much success, you got to stick to your guns from what you, you know, consistently were doing throughout the season to get as many wins as you did. You know, you can't be changing things up when playoffs come. You either have the right guys, you've got the right system, or you don't, and you've got to stick to your guns. So we're, you know, I get the question a lot of three years now, you haven't made it past the the conference semis, what are you going to do? And that's pretty much my response is that, you know, if, if sooner or later things don't go well, then. Yeah, you got to make a, a decision from a club level whether what's most important to you. Obviously, we want to win a championship, so so we'll see where that where that goes. But I feel extremely confident of our success and where we're going. Feel great about our team and our roster that we've been out so far for for this season. And then off the field, I'd say our two main components. When I stepped in in April, my main thing was being way more involved from a youth soccer standpoint. You know, we just uh-huh. got done talking about that from our players being involved. You know, running clinics community practices in the evenings so that people can come out and relate in the outskirts of Reno as well. I'd say we've got quite a few communities outside of this area who we need to drive 45 minutes, an hour or two and, yes. and show, you know, what what kind of level this is because they just they don't quite understand how good these guys really are and they're a step away from Major League Soccer. And then from a business perspective, we have Really struggled to be honest with you from the business community, corporate accounts, from really the group outings and businesses bringing out, you know, 100, 200, whatever it might be employees, you know, whether it's hospitality or whatever that might be. You know, I I gather that, you know, this area is very. You know, the, those who are, you know, have those 300, 400 person buildings, even thousands, they're not entrepreneurs. They're not your typical soccer fan. And despite the employees maybe being soccer fans, the decision makers are not. So it's been a challenge to, you know, even just invite out, you know, ask to experience what we have going on. I could see 10 years down the road, that completely flipping and all these small business owners and entrepreneurs are uh, leading these, these big staff buildings and they love the game. But I'd say from a business perspective, we're definitely, I'd say 70% of our fan base is the consumer buyer. So not Mm. the business community. I mean, from one... We'd love to improve that. We'd love to improve that. Invite people out, you know, go go to their staff meetings, talk about the club and, you know, just showcase what we have. I mean, from one
1: perspective, it's wonderful that 70% of, you know, folks that are coming to the stadium are truly locals that's that's incredible but from the from the business side i totally hear you i mean i think in general as a as a sport in the united states sponsorships and broadcast deals are tough to come by and even for mls teams it's tough to come by and we've seen it multiple times over and over again but i do agree with you and i'm very hopeful that it will change in time because the game is growing so fast i hope that we play a small part in that and ho- in, in helping sure. sort of s- spread the history and culture of the game. And the more people know and learn about that in the next generation, the next Dougs and Nemos who are in charge of corporates
0: will for sure be bringing 200 people to games. Absolutely. I can't wait for and, that. And here. if you don't believe that, you know, you probably shouldn't be in it, right? Um, 100%. Probably shouldn't have a job. So, <laughs> so it's continued, continued belief that that will occur. Yes.
1: Well, I wanted to, since you mentioned Sacramento and the rivalry there, I definitely wanted to touch, I mean, you know, this is soccer. We're built on rivalries. So yeah. you, guys, you guys have one rivalry that I've heard about here and there. What's that all about? What's, what's the situation with Las Vegas?
0: The, the north
1: of Nevada does not <laughs>
0: like the south of Nevada.
1: <laughs> <laughs> Tell me more uh,
0: about it. Yeah, so uh, it rings true all over the place. Back before us standpoint, so the University of Nevada here, a lot of people call it UNR still, but really the official name is the University of Nevada Reno, and then UNLV, University of Nevada Las Vegas, mm-hmm. have had a long-standing rivalry in the sporting structure as well. But even from a, a non-sporting structure, if those who are UNLV alums do not like UNR alums, it even goes simply to the fact of I don't wear red to meetings um that is not something you do like we are blue up here and uh, down south it is very red Literally, yes. the color right not talking politics or anything here yes. so so you will get called out if you wear red up here it's definitely like <laughs> a side comment from the business community it's very interesting so when las vegas announced that they were having a team and they started in 2018 uh it was obviously an opportunity to to uh, start something. And I'd say it's been very interesting because Sacramento is more of the, you know, the travel, traveling rivalry. They have certainly more fans come here and we have more fans go to Sac than Mm -hmm. Vegas sends here or we send to Vegas. A lot of people outside of Nevada and probably California don't really understand that Reno and Vegas are nowhere close to each other. Yes. At least probably a seven or an eight hour drive. It is, it's a flight for me. I will, I drove it once. I'll never drive it again. Um, (laughs) The two lane road, one way each way. And it's awful. a lot of trucks and it's just, it's awful. So, so we uh, started the silver state cup. It was a fan voted name again, both us and Vegas started it. And uh, it's funny. We, uh, we even have a little bit of a chip on our shoulder, I'd say from a front office standpoint with Vegas front office standpoint of just the way that Vegas does things they're very well known for their theatrics and yes. you know we we say they're they're not very much about soccer you know er- <laughs> Eric Winalda common name in in soccer um, nice. is their head coach and uh, Eric Block, our 1868 twitter um, ah, that's so, amazing <laughs> <laughs> yeah so we uh, we definitely have a, a little bit of a, a little bit of rivalry to say I the love least. it the And on the field too, on the field, the guys get it. You know, we brought the Silver State Cup down to Vegas. We played the final game in Vegas and won the Silver State Cup. And, you know, the guys were, were showcasing it and partying with our fans and lifting it up. And so I think it's a, it's a rivalry that's built up in two years. And fortunately, Vegas has never been able to celebrate a win. <laughs> I'm hearing that fire
1: already. Well, folks, mark <laughs> your calendars. April 4th in reno darby is happening we're gonna be there come support love it i can't wait to host you yeah can't wait to be there man and now it's time to give you the answer to this episode's trivia question just to remind y'all the question was who is usl's all-time leading goal scorer Y'all have plenty of time to Google Bing DuckDuckGo or whatever search engine you football nerds use these days. But the answer is the great Dane Kelly. The Jamaican-born baller currently holds the record with 77 goals. He played for 1868 in 2017 and that year took home both the Golden Boot and the MVP awards. He had a brief stint with DC United in MLS and is now back in USL this season, looking to add to his goals and his record with Charlotte independence. Make sure to check this episode's notes because we're going to link to some of Dane's beautiful goals from his prolific season with 1868. Doug, thank you so much for coming on our show it was a pleasure getting to know you better. We're obviously rooting for you. We're rooting for 1868.
0: Let's go 1868. Thank you, Nima. I appreciate it. And welcome all of those listening to visit Reno and see what we've got going on here. Yes, absolutely. All right, Doug, stay well. Thanks, man. Right back at you. I appreciate the time.
1: Few things before we bounce out of here first and foremost we want to thank doug for sharing some of the history and culture of 1868 with all of us they're once again gunning for the crown this year and we wish them all the best in the upcoming season now if you don't already please support your local teams go to their games and buy their merch the path to growing the game isn't rocket science but it does involve effort time and money by all of us to show up and support our teams. Now, for those of you brave souls that have stuck around till the end of the show, a quick related PSA. We're going to walk the talk and help you represent by giving away two 1868 jerseys. One will be this year's home jersey and the other their dope cultural jersey. You can take a look at these beauties right now on their shop site, which we'll link to in this episode's notes. All you gotta do to cop one of these is to follow us on social media, be it on Twitter or Instagram, forward slash EternoHQ, that's E-T-E-R-N-O-H-Q, and be on the lookout for the social posts for this episode with instructions on how to win one of these jerseys. Remember, there's only one of each jersey, so don't miss your chance. And with that, we want to thank all of you from the 60 countries you've subscribed to our show from the bottom of our hearts for tuning in. You could be listening to any show in the world, but you're here with us and we're humbled and grateful for your support. Please tell your community about our show and get them to subscribe too so we can keep building this league of billions together, a true global football community for us, by us. Until next time, one love.